Okay, so looking at today's dilemma, it's a pretty serious one. We have uh, somebody in Israel who sadly is very, very ill and urgently needs an organ transplant. One of his vital organs uh, is failing and he urgently needs a, a transplant, whether it be a liver or a kidney or a lung or a heart, whatever it was, he's, he's in urgent need of an organ transplant. And as we know, in these terrible cases, it's a waiting game that you need to find somebody who's a match. Uh, there needs to be an available organ. And uh, it's, a, it's a real a problem, a real dilemma, and uh, a life is on the line. Anyway, this, this man does his research, and he's looking at what options he has. How can he get this, uh, this organ that he urgently needs to save his life? And he finds that there's an interesting option in China. As is often the case, there's, uh, there's the local manufacturing, and then there's the made-in-China version. So there, there are organs available in China. And he, he sees that there is a, a, a the offer made, and it's explained, you know, that the, the hospitals in China, well, you can come and do some medical tourism, come, come to China, and there are organs available. It's pretty expensive, but they do have organs available there. Looking into it, 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 it it's, the, it's all run, of, of course, by the Chinese government, the Communist Party. And the hospitals there are saying that they, they get organs from accident victims, people who are in car accidents, uh, who are young and healthy. And so those organs are, are healthy and available. And, you know, the population in China is large. And so therefore, there's, a, there's a, a, a large amount of these people in accidents and the organs are available. And so here's a great option for this man who's desperately waiting for an organ. Well, you can go to China spend a couple of months there, get it done. And money's no object to, to save his life. He's willing to pay the money. But his hesitation is that he's heard rumors that these organs are not coming from accident victims, but rather the Chinese Communist Party have prisoners who are on death row waiting to be executed. And they are harvesting organs from these prisoners who are healthy and alive at the time. And the Communist Party is making money out of the organs of these prisoners. So, so goes the rumor. That's what, that's what people are saying. And just by the way, if this broadcast gets cut off in the middle, then uh, we know who, who owns Webex. Um, but... That, I'm not sure it's a rumor. <laughs> just a rumor. So uh, he's concerned about this. Hang on a minute. You know, they they say you know people like the Falun Gong and different different people who are forcibly incarcerated, and their organs are being harvested. So we've got a serious moral, moral dilemma now. This man's life is on the line. He's got an opportunity to save his life. However. It could be it's at the expense of somebody else's life. Somebody's being killed, basically. Somebody on death row is being is being killed in the hospital to get to, to for their organs to be harvested and the Chinese Communist Party to make money out of it. Can he do such a thing to save his life?
is 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 it right or wrong so of course the the hospital says that's not at all what's happening we're getting these organs from legitimate sources from people who die in an accident but can we accept that do we believe that do we believe what they're saying and if we do believe what they're saying uh, on the, the possibility that it's not the case do we save a life on that so there's a few things to uh, assess here first of all is the trustworthiness of a government if a government is claiming something do we believe them and here there's a, a fascinating and really surprising passage in the Talmud that I want to share with you. It's in Tractate Baba Basra, right at the beginning, Gimel Amud base. And it tells there an interesting law, an interesting halakha, which is actually personally quite relevant to me. The, the Talmud there says that you're not allowed to knock down a synagogue, even to build a new one. You're not allowed to knock down a synagogue unless there is another one already built. You first have to build the new one before you knock down the old one. Why? Because we worry that maybe you'll knock down the shul and then for whatever reason not manage to rebuild the new one. You might run out of money or the money might be used for some other purpose. Uh, and so we're concerned that you can't knock down a shul until you've built the old one already. Now, by the way, this actually only applies where there's no other shul to go to. It doesn't, doesn't apply in a place where there are other shuls, so you, you can pray somewhere else. But if you're the only shul in town, you can't knock down that shul without rebuilding the new one first. So says the Talmud. And there's interesting halachas that, that, uh, and ramifications for that. So the Talmud asks, but hang on a minute. If you're saying that you can't knock down a shul before you built a new one, what about what happened with the second temple? The second temple in Jerusalem was knocked down by King Herod, who was the, the regent of the time, a, a Roman proxy. He knocked down and rebuilt the second temple. And this was at the advice of a rabbi. Bava ben Buta, who was a great leader of the time, advised King Herod to do this. He told him, knock down the, the second temple and rebuild it. The reason he, he said that advice to him was because King Herod had slaughtered a whole lot of rabbis, except for Bava ben Buta, he left him alive. And uh, King Herod realized that he did something wrong. And so Bava ben Buta suggested to, to get forgiveness, do something good for the Jewish people, rebuild a beautiful temple for them, but destroy it and then rebuild it. So the Talmud says, how could Bava ben Buta recommend Herod to knock down the temple and rebuild it? You're not allowed to knock down a shul before you've rebuilt the new one, especially when it's the only one. There's only one temple. So the Talmud answers a fascinating answer, something that is so ironic. The Talmud says, when it comes to people doing a building project, people may not follow through. But a government, if a government says they're going to do something, then they'll do it. You can trust them. <laughs> which uh, is rather counterintuitive uh, that, uh, that when a kingdom, a, a king says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. But some have quoted this Talmud as saying, so therefore when a government says this is what we do, this is our policy, this, 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 is, this is what our, our protocols, we believe what they say. A government follows through in what it says. They, 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 they can do what they want. No, no one can tell them. And so therefore we accept that, that, that it's true. What they're doing is, 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 what, is, is, uh, is what they say they're doing. Um, okay, so therefore, if the government says, the, the Chinese government says, this is our protocol, this is what we do, a government, what they say, they follow. They follow, they follow their word, according to that passage in the Talmud. So we could accept what they're saying is true. Let, let's say that. But we've got a further problem here, and that is that 
this actually only applies, you can only say the government uh, will follow through what it's doing in a case where they will pay for not following through. If, if it's going to cost them for not following through on their, on their word, then we can believe that it's going to follow through. But when they are covering up for themselves or they are saying something that is for their own benefit, we don't have to believe everything they say. Uh, there are other examples that Talmud gives, uh, or brought it in, in, in Jewish law, of where a government might make some promises or say they're doing something, but it's all to cover themselves or to, or to gain more popularity. They're not going to follow through on that, or they're not, they're not necessarily telling the truth. So therefore, we can't accept that, that, that it's the definite truth what they're saying. We do have to be cautious, especially if a government has proven themselves as not being reliable and honest, uh, which may be the case in this discussion. So now we've got, we've got an issue. If we take their, their word at face value, the Chinese government at face value, which that itself is very dubious, then, okay, they're, they're doing nothing wrong. But there are serious rumors. In fact, there are some even testimonies. There are some Chinese doctors who have, who have defected and said, I, I was involved with this. I did the, 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 the transplants. And this is what we, we were told to do. This is what we had to do. We were taking from fully healthy, live prisoners. We were taking their organs away. So if we've got strong testimony of such a thing, so the question takes another step. Am I allowed to save my life by killing another person? That clearly, is, the answer is no. We know that one is not allowed to murder, for, even in order to save a life. So if uh, somebody was told, kill that person, or I'm going to kill you, you can't go and kill that person to save your life. You can't do that. You can't, you can't take one life in order to save your own life. The Talmud says, who says that their, your blood is redder than their blood? Maybe their blood is redder than your blood. Meaning, we cannot measure whose life is worth more. You can't kill somebody else to save your own life. So that you can't do. However, there is an interesting other case where you're not killing somebody to save your life but you are perhaps indirectly causing them to be killed. This, this is brought in halacha. What if a person, two, two people were kidnapped and one of them has an opportunity to escape from the kidnapping, but they know that if I escape, then my friend is probably going to get killed by the kidnappers in revenge. So I have an opportunity to save my life by escaping, but it probably will mean that the, the person I leave behind is going to get killed. Am I allowed to escape and save my life knowing that it may cause the other to get killed? There the, the halacha says you can. You, you're allowed to do that. You're allowed to escape. You're not, you're not killing him directly. You're making it possible that it will happen, yes, but you're not killing him directly. So that would be permissible. Could you say, therefore, here is the same thing? We've got this patient in Israel who desperately needs his... Uh, transplant. He's got an opportunity to get one in China. We are suspicious that the Chinese government is killing people to get their organs. But he is not killing anyone. He is going and he's being told that the organ is, co is coming through valid acceptable means. The fact that it could be that the Chinese government in, in the basement of the hospital is bringing their death row inmates and harvesting their organs, killing them to get their organs and making money out of it, 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 it could be but is this Israeli patient doing that? No. Is he causing it? Maybe. But Rob, I've got, it's not direct. What happens if, for example, the life-saving organ is a kidney, and in fact it is being harvested from a Chinese uh, prisoner, but that doesn't 
lead to his death. People live on one kidney. Okay, so then that would be stealing. Rather than murdering, that would be stealing. So, so can I save my life by stealing from somebody else? Which uh, is certainly less than murdering. But uh, interestingly, in, in, that, in that very case of, of saving your life by stealing from somebody else, let's say if, if somebody is, is starving to death and they have no money, so there's, there's some food in the shop. Can I, can I steal the food from the shop? No one's giving it to them. Can I steal the food from the shop to save their life? The answer is yes, but they have to pay it back. They have to pay. You, you, can, you can steal, in other words, you can take to save your life, but you have to pay back later. You could go into somebody's field and eat in order not to die, but you have to pay back later. I don't know if that's possible here. If the, if the Chinese government is stealing a kidney from somebody, they can live without their kidney, but is there any way of, of, re, of, of, of recompensating that, that person? Compensating that, I, I, don't, I don't know there is. So, so it would seem that if, if he's not directly killing the guy, maybe he's allowed to do this. Maybe he's allowed, he's allowed to, uh, to take the limb, the organ, and what the Chinese do, well, that's, that's, that's what they do. However, that itself is quite problematic because this question was brought by, to, to one of the great halachic authorities uh, who passed away not long ago, Rav um, Yosef Sholem Eliashiv. And he said that if there is strong reason to believe that indeed the Chinese government is killing people, healthy people, to take their organs, if that's what the word on the street is, and there's basis to it, it's not just uh, sensationalism, but, but there are, there's, there's account, accounts, eyewitness accounts for such a thing, and there's reason to believe it. And if the Chinese government has a history of covering up things and not necessarily being all that uh, forthright with what they're doing, so then for anybody, and certainly for a Jew, to be involved in that is getting into something that's smelly, it's a, it's a desecration of God's name, uh, it, it has the, the whiff of immorality. Even though we're talking about the saving of a life, which is so paramount and so, so high up in our priorities of morality, but if you're saving a life at the expense of possibly being uh, involved in murder on, on such a, a big scale, so then it would actually be better to stay away from it and to trust in God that a, a healing will come in a valid and, and moral way. And so I would say in this case, as far as trusting the, the, the government, uh, I don't think we can apply the case of Baba Ben Buta and Herod to this and say that if the, if the government says something, that they, they, they must mean what they're saying and, and it's true. I don't think that applies at all here. The suspicion is strong enough. There are, there are enough accounts coming out of China that this type of thing could really be happening. I think it, it, it survives the, the whiff test. You know, when you, you, know, when you hear a, a conspiracy story and you say, oh, that's really far-fetched. And then sometimes you hear a story, you say, yeah, I could actually believe that that's happening. Uh, this one, I think, probably comes under the latter category where it could really be happening. And so, therefore, even if technically you could say it's indirect, I'm not directly killing anybody, I'm involved in murder. By me participating in, in, that, in that hospital's transplant uh, system, I'm participating possibly in murder.
and I can't save my life based on that. If uh, if that's the only way to, to save save a life, it means that it's not a means for for now. So we should pray to never be in such a circumstance that all everyone should be healthy. All all those who need blessings of health, they should receive that blessing of health, and all those who are in uh, in danger wherever they are in the world should be protected and should be well. Amen. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi. Bye-bye. Thank you.